it it, it kind of shocks me. I don't know. I, I don't know. We're hurting. We are hurting. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, every knee you shall bow your weekly Catholic podcast on evangelization and discipleship. I am Michael Gomer Gormley, and I am joined, as always, by Dave. He is the crisis of reciprocity. Van Vickle, how you doing, Dave? I'm good. I'm hey. I'm working on something you you might be interested in. Oh yeah, what's that? So I'm writing a. I guess it would be a paper on. I'm taking all the different theories of atonement present in the early church, and talking about their relationship to the devil good lord good lord <laughs> you live such a dark life no it's not dark it's good it's good you know it is it is funny because as you explore the topic of ransom theory which is the predominant theology of atonement the the funny thing is how the different fathers viewed its relation to the devil so one of it is like god jesus tricked the devil yeah hoodwinked because the devil's like yeah i get to kill the son yeah. of god oh no yeah right and then the other is um like who do you pay the ransom to and a lot of church fathers said of course you pay it to the devil right and a lot of other church fathers are like no you no way. god doesn't right. owe the devil anything so it is interesting i'm pretty sure that that's the only one that the church actually said no that's not true the others are possibles well the church never definitively condemned any of them but it under anselm Right. totally reverse course and moved away from it so right and some other church fathers criticized it too which is why they said no you're not paying the rent the ransom is an analogy right not literal truth so it is interesting yeah I'm, interesting. I, I, the, I, the reason i am doing it is because you know when the like historical critical method kind of wrote the the, the bad historical critical method wrote the devil out of the bible and so I want it to be a resource for people who are trying to remain orthodox, right? And still believe in the devil and trying to reconcile atonement theory with a mm -hmm. personal evil, namely yeah. Satan. So Interesting. Your world is not my world. Every time we talk about this stuff, I always <laughs> think how different our lives are in so many ways. <laughs> You're trying to become the strongest man in Pittsburgh. I am the squishiest man in the Woodlands, Texas. Not really. Not the things. squishiest, but... Squishy. Second squishy. <laughs> what, how's, the, how's the couch to 5K? Oh, man. I developed uh, uh, shin splints that I had to go and talk with a physical therapist Really? About they were because, that bad? Wow, that's awful. And they were so bad. So then he was like, well, okay, so we need to determine whether they're a stress fracture or a shin splint. So they walk you through like eight different criteria of whether one's one or the other. And it's like, literally, I said, well, the, the four of shin splints apply to me and four of the stress fractures apply. So I don't know what to do. So I bought one of these uh, uh, massagers that they use in the in the PT office okay. on my calf and my um, shins and the fascia around it and all the connective tissues shenanigans. And I, he, I just basically, I'm going to rest for two weeks and then I'm going to go back out to it and see, see if that changed anything. Okay. But there's a bunch of stretches that you do. For your anterior and posterior and blah 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 terrier. So okay. I'm doing that stuff. Is there but, is uh, there a date for this 5K? No, no, no. Okay. No, no, no. Okay. It's just the it, book you're doing. Okay. Well, so it's part of 
you know, our discipleship thing, right? Don't just exercise, train. Yeah, right. I remember. So I'm like, okay, right. well, I'm going to train to run a 5K. Okay. And there's no 5K that I'm going to. Maybe I should, but kind of happy that I'm not because my shins were on fire. It was insane. Yikes. Insane in the membrane. So, um, but it's been it's been a great boon uh, getting that massage thing because I was like, well, I'll just try it on my old uh, shoulder too. I'm like, oh my gosh, all my shoulder pain went away. Who knew? What if you Who What knew? if you had a major career move and you just became a masseuse like a full, because of this? It's so funny you say that because there are there's a parishioner here at my church who thought he was going to go in this whole different direction. <laughs> and he started, and then he got certified as a deep tissue therapeutic massager guy, wow. masseuse. And he's, he's, he's just killing it. And I, I like people praise him. It's like my buddy, Joey, who, you know, he was a youth minister his whole life. And now he's the general manager of a bar, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and it's the most popular bar in the woodlands. So yeah. I just love, and it's called Deacon Baldies. Um, I just love, I love people when they make career moves like that. Oh, me too. But, uh, me too. I'm so fascinated by that. Yeah. And, and there's, there's another guy called, oh, I'm going to forget his name. Dr. Ken, Dr. Kelly Starrett, Starrett, something like that. The Ready State is his YouTube channel. And he teaches you how to like strengthen your ligaments and tendons and all this stuff. And he has all these like stretching protocols and blah, blah, blah. But it's funny because my buddy, Brian, he was the one that introduced him to me when I started complaining about this stuff. And he said, um, his buddy in Ohio has been helping so many of his coworkers with their back pain. Cause I don't know if you know this, but more people have on the job medical pain from desk jobs, office work than they do from construction work. Oh, I believe that. Yeah. Because of the sitting. And yeah. so he does all this stuff. So people who complain of like chronic knee pain and knee pain goes away to the point where the guy is building a, a practice and he's getting certified because he's like, I, I love my corporate job, but, uh, I feel like I'm doing more good in the world, so it is interesting when people do that. I love it. I would be a mechanic. Do you ever feel like if it wasn't for this whole Jesus thing, you would have? <laughs> right? No, I always wanted to be a police officer. That was my dream. Yeah? Yeah. I always wanted to be a police. That was my, yeah, always. And, and are you? No, not at all. But no, I mean, you know, honestly, please, have, you ever, have you ever looked at what they make for a living? It's like $18. I don't know how they do it. Tips. I don't know I how don't they know. do it. I really don't. They all moonlight. Yeah. Doing traffic and security. Yeah, Well, that's scary. Stuff. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, it, it is. It is a rough life. Uh, but yeah, it's funny because, you know, we went to Franciscan with so many students who had conversions their senior year because of a conference and now they're a theology major yeah. and i'm always like you should be a theology double major. Why don't you yeah. get some a little bit more practical in your life? Oh, yeah. And so many of them now say like. I mean, they all have that story of like, well, I was a theology major and then I just couldn't do it anymore. And then I started doing this or something like that. Yeah. Well, the funniest thing is the youth minister path where it's like, I'm in youth ministry. I'm doing all this stuff. <laughs> then I designed the website. Yeah. Then oh, I designed yeah, 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 the t-shirt. Yeah. Now I have a business where I'm making websites and t-shirts. Yeah. Yeah. Graphic yeah. design. The youth minister's out. <laughs> yeah. 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 Good point. Uh, it hey, is, can it I is, update is, you with something? Can I tell you something funny? Oh, I can't wait. Okay, it's not really all that funny, but it's kind of funny to me. So in our high school program, we've divided it in half because we have too many teens. So I teach year one, which is the freshmen, and then my buddy teaches um, upper class, which is sophomores, juniors, and seniors, and most of the sophomores are in confirmation. So it, it's about 85 kids that are in the upper class thing and about 300 that are in the freshman thing. So this is the creation of upper class. It's to also try to build camaraderie and build up the notion of like we're older, this is our faith, it's more mature, okay, whatever. 
So uh, we were talking about going over their life nights and what are you going to talk about? And he said, Mary. And, you know, I'm thinking of some different stuff. And I said, can I teach it? And he's like, yeah, if you want to, you're my boss. <laughs> I was like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so uh, I was super excited. So because I've taught this so many times with inclusion with my adults, yeah, I was like, let's just go in and I'll have him give his testimony of being a Mexican who was scared of Mary because it looked like everyone was worshiping her with their little candles and all that stuff. Sure. And then when he came into his Catholic faith, that was the like the last hurdle for him to overcome. And to be a Mexican who is nervous about Our Lady Guadalupe is kind of a big deal, right, you know. Right. So he kind of shared that. So it was really cool hearing his, you know, kind of conversion acceptance of Our Lady. Um, so then I just went like full bore into it, and uh, I'm a little upset. I recorded the talk, but it, it was in my shirt pocket, and I forgot that I wore a thing over the shirt and just scratched the microphone the whole time, which is an irritant. Yeah. Um, but I, it was the best Marian talk I have ever given in my life. And I had all the kids, I'm like, get out your Bibles, here you go, and we're just going to run through. And we went through, you know, all the infancy narratives and all that stuff in, in Matthew and Luke, and we go through the Wedding Feast of Cana, Revelation 11 and 12, you know, the Proto-Evangelion, the fall and the, you know, and all that good stuff. But we just, we ran through everything. At one point I look over and I go, oh my gosh, I need to stop talking now. And they're like, you know what? We're not going to do small groups. Keep going. Nice. <laughs> so I talked for an hour and 15 minutes. It's a huge dream. It was so fun. True. Yes, it was. It was. I had a captive audience. They were all very sad. And uh, I kept talking. Hey, let me, let me put you on the spot for a minute. Okay. Um, yeah. Does your parish have any adult faith formation for that you give like officially that the parish offers not a volunteer right for someone who is already catholic yeah so what do you have what is that because i've never heard you talk about it well okay so i don't it's not like a weekly thing okay so just I don't every do once in a while because it's like a yeah, because we have so much stuff happening. Yeah, okay. I don't do a weekly thing. Right. So I've been I've been tossing around the idea of doing a an apologetics class, a theology class, and a, a spirituality class, yeah. like Catholic spiritual theology. But when I come down to it, the thing that I realize is so few people have even the basics, which is going to be one of the topics that we talk about today. So few adults know anything. I mean, they're utterly clueless about this stuff that to try to teach spiritual theology to people who literally have never prayed yeah is kind of counterproductive okay. and there is this point where it's like yes you need to focus on you know the 10% the 5% or whatever but there's this other area where i i feel like i need to catch a very wide net of people who come but they don't have a consistent prayer life outside of that yeah so i this is what we talk about the start here series okay so i will offer multiple series to help onboard people into the very notion of what does it mean to have faith what does it mean to pray how do you know that god is real what's the deal with jesus so i'll do these three part things they're always three parts an hour talk 30 minutes of questions you can leave whenever you want and uh and those those get really good attendance from people who have never been to faith formation. Okay. So it's it's not like super well attended. Like I don't have hundreds of people coming to this, but the people who come will say more often than not, I've never been to a single class since I got confirmed or something like that. Huh. And I also teach every week, I teach adult confirmation classes in the fall and inclusion in the spring. Okay. So okay. I still do a lot of that. Yeah. I just wondered because I never hear you talk about that. Yeah, you know, I feel bad that I don't, but because I'm now so much in administration, 
it is really difficult. I'm the guy who backs up all the other people right. in my department, and I have 10 people in my department. So if someone can't come to a marriage prep class, they come to me personally. If someone can't come to a baptism class or they have an extraordinary reason why they can't, they come to me. Right. So I right. supplement because I can do this off the top of my head, whereas other people like they need a plan. They need to this. It, it's just easier for me to step in in that regard. So I don't really have a lot of time left over to teach consistent classes. So sure. I'll tell you what, I would love to do a Bible study on Genesis probably one through 11 and just, you know, do that. I would love to do something like that. Yeah, it'd be awesome. It's, it it's be. what is my problem? What is my problem? Well, one of your problems is that you literally don't have nights and places to host it. It's that busy at your parish. Yeah. Well, I will say this. COVID, COVID has taken a chunk out of that, that it's actually led to... Um, nice. I, I haven't taken advantage of it in... I'm starting to, but, you know, in planning for COVID, I put our middle school nights, they're an hour, hour and 15 minutes each, fifth and sixth grade anchors, sixth and seventh grade edge, and I put them all on Tuesday night with a 30-minute gap in between so that we could get all of all of middle school done on one night and then all of high schools on Sunday. And my thoughts were that it would be we would simplify everything, really dive deep into what we wanted to be and represent. And what ended up happening was I'm just burning out my middle school and high school people. Yeah. Right. I'm just killing them because they're they're exhausted right. with these back to back things on totally different topics. So I tell them, like, let me take the the beginning part and you do, you know, the talk and then send them out to small groups and all that. Because I want to take the pressure off them as much as possible. So I do the weekly uh, year one class. I've always taught that for high school, but now I'm starting to get more involved in the middle school stuff. But what happened is we used to be jammed with people with adult faith formation on Thursday nights. That was the night. And now we only have one other class that's a, that sustained itself. It, it's kind of crazy because a lot of people got used to Zoom and they don't want to come in person. So Zoom okay. actually undermined our in-person stuff. Yeah, yeah. So you have a lot of people that they only do, they only want to do it online. And you, I can get it for like That Man Is You, which meets at 6 a.m. And so guys just roll out in their pajamas, do it via Zoom, and then they go, they go to work. But for programs that meet in the evening, programs that meet in the afternoon, um, it, it, it kind of shocks me how terrible it is. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know. Can I tell We're hurting. We are hurting. Wow. That's that's a good admission that you just made. Yeah, it sucks. It sucks because I was talking with someone the other day and they were like, oh, no, we're right back to where we were. You know, turns out when you have good models of faith formation, people, you know, want to see it and get connected to it. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know about that. I don't know. I mean, I, 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 just, I mean, I think I think yeah. part of it is right. But I think also you had you almost had a consumerist situation where there was like. Like, what am I going to do this week? I could pick a million things to do this week at the parish. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we had so many options that uh, people became very picky, very zealous over their thing, which I understand because that's where they met the Lord and yeah. fell in love. And and now it's like, no, this, it, it kind of becomes weird when this Bible study becomes the only Bible study anyone's allowed to do. I, I don't <laughs> like that idea. Right. Right. So at my church, we have a lectionary based Bible study. We have multiple Ascension Press, um, Great Adventure Bible studies. We have about eight of those. And then we have Cornerstone, which is a more of a small group community Bible study that right. takes one book right. at a time. Right. And they are all three radically different approaches. Yeah. yeah. And I love that yeah. because you got to be able to appeal to people in different different areas. But with COVID, 
and the pandemic and I, I would say we you know I'm in Texas I'm in a relatively red part of Texas as well but I would say that there's about five percent of our parishioners so it's not big it's about five percent who are paralyzed with fear over the pandemic still okay paralyzed and I don't know what it's like in other parishes I don't know what it's like in other parts of the country but not only are they paralyzed, but they're incredibly angry that other people aren't in that same yeah, mindset. Right, right. And when I say incredibly angry, I mean when when you're talking with them normally, if you ever can get them face to face, they have no problem just attacking you, yeah, right. ripping you apart, trying to humiliate you in public. To which now the sad thing is this happens to my coworkers or my my employees. So my I had to create a rule six months ago that if anyone screams, yells, belittles, name calls, or in other in any other way is vitriolic towards you, you tell them uh, my supervisor will call you back, and you just hang up the phone. You do not get to be the victim, punching bag, yeah, whatever, right. of our parishioners trying to help them figure out the sacraments. And so I was so mad. That I mean, this stuff constantly happens. So just the other day, I had a conversation with a woman who has a lot of medical issues. So she's nervous for her daughter to go on a particular retreat. Well, we know that people are like this, so we're not mandating right. any of this. Yeah, is of me. This is me going to therapy right now. So we're not mandating any of this stuff, right? But people, they come with their own presuppositions. And here's the deal. If you got a problem with someone at the parish, ask a question. Don't lead in with the fact that you're Satan and I'm here to attack you. So these uh so i just say to the woman i was like and she's crying on the phone i was like and now i also don't want to throw the person responsible for the retreat under the bus so i'm not making any promises but maybe we can figure something out that works for everyone so i kept saying that hey don't worry about this we we understand that people are stressed we understand that people have you know existing conditions that make them very susceptible to you know you don't want to end up on a ventilator and all that stuff i get it don't worry we'll work with you she, okay and i said all i'm asking send me an email and i will discuss it and we'll get back to you on monday so instead of her sending me a bullet point email, and I must have said this probably, and I'm not exaggerating, 10 times, send me an email with just the bullet points of your argument so that I know where it's coming be from. able to draw right. on this stuff for the conversation. Yeah. And uh, and she's like, okay, thank you, thank you, thank you. No, ended it perfectly well. Well, instead of her sending me an email, you know, a, a 10 minutes later, a day goes by and I get the world's most arrogant, condemning, judgment. I mean calling me insane calling me from not her but from her husband who yeah. wasn't a part of the conversation at all and i'm sitting there going through this i knew you and, were gonna say that i knew yeah and the and and the person in charge of the program comes over to me and she's like what did you say to this man and i was like oh nothing and i promised this woman we would we would change we would help her do all the things that she needs like and yeah. she's like golly this guy goes on for like two pages just brutally rude so my my so i hit reply and just said thank you for your email we will get back to you in four days or on monday you know whatever i i don't i don't i hate this i hate the attitude that people have we bend over backwards and people are upset that our backs aren't broken yet so they try to push further and so the i went to my pastor and i just laid out a plan and i just said here's the deal when registration when late registration ends six weeks after school has already started we are not accepting anyone we're not accepting anyone for faith formation, for confirmation, for First Holy Communion. They've had three and a half months to register. Our programs have already started. We're cutting everyone off. He goes, okay. I'm so, what? 
He goes, yeah, why wouldn't you do that? I said, because, you know, sometimes people use the word pastoral to mean yeah. destroy my staff so that, you know, and he was like, oh, no, oh, no. Like we've given the, when did registration go live? Oh, the beginning of July. When did it end? Oh, the end of September. Yeah. No, you're good. You're yeah. good. And then, of course, the day of or the day after, how dare you get between my child and the sacraments? And, <laughs> you know, you always have to be nice and respond. But I just want to be like, no, your inability to set something on a calendar did. And I know it's crazy. I know everyone is crazy right now because of because of the pandemic and what it did to us. But my God, I'm down 160 man hours per week. Yeah. And I can't rehire those positions. But no one, no one. Hey, how can we help? Right. Hey, can we remedy the situation? It's just full. So that's the biggest struggle going on right now. Not just the lack of people in adult faith formation, but but really the vitriol that's everywhere. Yeah, and it's, I mean, people think it's just in social media or just in politics or something like that. It's like we yeah. we get the we get the end of this stuff, and it's it's brutal. Yeah. Can I can I just tell you about my my boss because I'm kind of amazed by him right now. I'm in awe. <laughs> Go for it. So you kind of showed the dark side of what's going on right now. Let me tell you what he's like. So. <laughs> So this guy, he's, I don't know how old he is. He's young. He's a young priest. I think he's been ordained, I don't know, less than 15 years. Okay. And he was moved to a downtown parish and literally like the parish that I work at, like my office touches the arena where the penguins play. Like it's like right there. Yeah. And so there's no parishioners really. It's, it's mostly just people who are, you know, on during the week who come for mass when they're at work. Um, there are some parishioners who follow him, you know, like his, yeah, his family, he's a huge gigantic family. And he, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm extremely amazed by him because he thinks, you know, I'm a small thinking person. That's, I'm not, I'm not a big thinking person. I'm like a, like, uh, like I see a poor person in front of me. I help that poor person. It's not like I think, okay, I'm going to end poverty in America. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> but he he thinks bigger although he also has that small you know thinking as well so he spends every morning at the red door which is our soup kitchen and he runs that okay but anytime he sees a need he just starts a nonprofit to meet the need okay so so right now i think his family he told me that his family said you're not allowed to start anything new because he's got so much going but he met a guy whose adult son uh, is disabled, has, a, uh, he, has some form of autism, I think, and couldn't find a job. And the man was like, I just wish there was a place. So, so my pastor and this guy, my boss and this guy, started a place called Brother Andre's Cafe, which is a coffee house. Oh, you, told, you did yeah, mention that right. okay. before. Okay, okay so nice. that is booming, like booming. Like it's in the church hall. Next door to my office. Every time I go in there, there's people in there. There's college students. It's right by Duquesne's campus. There's people wow. studying. He told me that like it last December they did fifty thousand dollars in business in one month. So it's a big deal, right? This is a, wow. Yeah, they have an occupational therapist coming in who's going to like run things and help all the. It's it's amazing. It really is amazing. So he starts to run that. He's running Red Door. Then he decides. Then the he's getting involved with healing and deliverance. Right. And so he hires me and he decides we're going to start the immaculate heart center for, for healing and deliverance. Okay. 
So we're starting that. So this is another thing that he runs. Okay. Uh, basically anybody can come for prayer and come for, uh, help, you know, and we have all kinds of resources, both mental health resources, spiritual direction, all that kind of stuff. Okay. Tons of people from that program coming into RCIA. He's got people leading them through that. Then he starts to meet through the red door, unwed mothers who have no place to go. And he decides like, okay, yeah, the first time he meets one, he's like, I don't know what to do. I guess we'll just pay for you to stay in a hotel. Okay. And somebody says to him like, Hey, how many of these women are, do you have? And he's like, well, right now there's four or something. They're like, you know, that's kind of a liability. Like you need, we need to get more organized with this. So he just bought a building downtown Pittsburgh and they're turning it into, and they're hiring someone to come in and run this whole building. They're turning it into a home for unwed mothers in Pittsburgh. Okay. I mean, just incredible. The second he sees a need, you know, it's there. And all of this is run by his nonprofit called Move a Mountain Missions. It's all, that's like the umbrella thing. Yeah. And I just, I'm amazed because the other day I was meeting with him and he was like, well, I guess we'd have to do Wednesdays, but then I I guess it's fine. I just don't get my day off. And I was like, no, 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 no. Like take your day off. Like, you know, like please, you know, while, while I'm very hard on priests and clerics, you deserve your day off. So anyways, I'm just, I'm amazed by this guy because it's, it's like every minute of his day is scheduled. Kind of like the way you talk about Father David Hust. Yeah. Yeah. Who is right next door doing spiritual direction for one of our biggest fans <laughs> who is canonizable in my opinion. But yeah, it, it is amazing. When uh, I one time read a book written by Reverend Timothy Keller and he talked about what should be the outreach. And I've said this before on the show, but I think it bears repeating. What should be the approach of the church to the to poverty and to needs like this? And they said... Uh, I think he gave three really good distinctions. He said, one is immediate relief, Yeah. right? Someone's destitute, they can't eat, here's food, yeah. here's money, right. here's shelter. The other one is um, development. What is development? Development is nonprofits that educate single moms in order to, you know, help them find better jobs, better employment, you know, whatever it might be. My cousin used to run a place for teenage mothers who were kicked out of their home and it was a pro-life organization funded by four Christian churches. One was Catholic and the other three were not. And it was just a, an ability to save these mothers, save these babies by loving these mothers. Sure, you know? yeah. And and then the next step above that is reform. So you have relief, development, reform. And reform is something that is legal, that is cultural, that is much bigger. And he said, one individual can do relief. Several people can do development, but it takes to do reform. It takes organizations uh-huh. and people dedicated that task. And it seems like your um, boss has mastered that middle level yeah. of, of development. Like I see a need, I have the means, therefore let's do this thing right now. Yeah. And the ability to do that, this is what, this is why we need wealthy people who are convinced and convicted by the gospel because they can immediately affect generations. Oh, yeah. Right. And that's something people without means, right? Most nonprofits spend most of their time trying to get money, right? right? right. Constantly. And their and resources. So when, and their resources. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. And so when you have wealthy people, which is why wealthy people fund nonprofits because maybe they don't have the time to do it and all that stuff. But one the the thing that we have to always do as Catholics. So if you're wealthy and you're listening to this, 
the thing that we have to always do is not just give our dollars, but get to that level of encounter, yeah. right? And that's what the Franciscans didn't do. Like they developed incredible systems of serving the poor in that developmental level, but that abstracted them from the poverty. Right. And that's the thing that I, that Mother Teresa and the Franciscan friars of the renewal, they were like, oh yeah, no, we can never lose contact with the poor. Yeah. I have to be in contact with the poor. And by doing that, they, by doing that, you realize that, that line of Pope John Paul, no man is so rich, he has nothing to receive, nor so poor, nothing, he has nothing to give. And you build not just you're a charity case for me, which reinforces shame and stereotypes and all that stuff, but it actually brings about community. Right. Right. So uh, we got the Adore um, missions down in Houston where they have a huge group doing family dinner down in Clear Lake where NASA is. And so you have NASA scientists who are praying with the janitorial staff <laughs> and sharing a meal with the janitorial staff who empty their waste baskets and clean their bathrooms yeah. praying with, you know, these single moms who have like four kids abandoned by their husband or husband shipped back to Mexico or Venezuela or wherever it might be. And they all are friends, right? That's what we need. Yeah. Right. And I love that. I think that's so beautiful. Yeah, it is amazing. And his, he has a huge gigantic family. And they're all down at the at the soup at the red door working and stuff like that. And they're all so they all run this, they're all kind of surrounded by it's just this kind of fantastic family. And they started this company here and they're all like really good at like business and stuff like that. So like yeah. one of the cousins is he's like in charge of the gift of Mary, which is the home for uh, unwed mothers. And and it's like, I could never do that, but they're like business geniuses you know so they know how to do it and yeah. everything so it's it's neat it's like i'm just well, this I'm, is I'm that so, charism yeah right this is that charism of administration that we always joke about like you get the gift of tongues you get the gift yeah, of prophecy right. and karen you get the gift of administration <laughs> <laughs> although you're good at that that's kind of one of your things negative no negative. what do you mean you're i've i've listened to you talk about like your difficult situations with employees and stuff like that and i'm always like yeah i could never do that well, I'll tell you I'll tell you what it is. It's because I know I'm not gifted at it that I spend a lot of time. Yeah. But but it's my role, right? So yeah. it's it's one of those things where the responsibilities come onto me, so I need to go and do something about it. So I have to spend it's not natural. Yeah. I have to spend a, a, a disproportionate amount of time reading, studying, and inviting feedback and challenges. I've also had a lot of examples of what to do and examples of what not to do that I hope that I'm able, like we had a um, a good friend of ours, Christine Marlowe, who now is the president and CEO of Montgomery County Food Bank, who used to run children's faith formation. So I sort of have her job. And uh, she would tell me that in the military, they had a very important leadership principle, which was called management by walking around. Yeah, And it was so important that you are experiencing what people are doing who work for you and then you know listening to jocko willink who was in the you know seals teams he said everyone in the seals team does every job at least once and they're trained on it so you know like that that's part of while i'm not going to be able to be as good as some of my employees i have to understand where they're coming from because when i start to change things i have to change them for the better not just for something that suits me or sounds like a good idea and I think there's a lot of, and this goes to kind of the topic that we wanted to bring up, even though it's a little late in the show, but um, 
this goes to the notion of authentic reform in the church. Yeah. Renewal is something that the Holy Spirit does. Reform is something that hopefully docile people through the Holy Spirit can accomplish. And so what I want to look at is, okay, so we've been doing church in a specific way for a long time that is not producing disciples, right? We are, we are hemorrhaging people from the life of the church. And to say otherwise, you are lying to yourself. You're right. joking. Like we have to, and we have to hang question marks on everything. And Pope Francis mentions this, uh, as does Pope Benedict and JP too. When we talk about the new evangelization, it's not something that necessarily involves the message. It's something that necessarily involves the structures in the way we set up parish life. Pope Francis famously saying the new evangelization involves changing our schedules and calendars and all of this stuff. It does. Yeah. It really, truly does. But one of the things that we have today, and this was brought up, I think, about five or six episodes ago, because I'm walking my employees through a document called on the, the reciprocity between faith and the sacraments in the sacramental economy. That's a huge mouthful. So Google the reciprocity between faith and the sacraments. It'll come up. It's on the Vatican website. You can order it on Amazon. It's from the International Theological Commission. It was published this January, 2021. Um, Dave interviewed Father Thomas Wynity. He's one of like 15 experts, theological experts that were involved in it in Dave's other podcast. <laughs> uh, and so... It is an incredibly eye-opening document. So what we want everyone to do, you know, Word on Fire right now is doing this walkthrough Dehi Verbum. I'm encouraging everyone right now, what we're going to do is a somewhat, we're not going to walk through the document, yeah. but there are certain very specific things that I think we need to talk about. That everybody so get yeah, the word needs out. to find out. Because yeah. this document, uh, when you mentioned it, I had read it like because it was part of a... Um, I, I was on a panel at Franciscan about about this when it first came out, and I had read it. But when I went back and read it, I was like, you know what? This isn't just for people who work for the church. This is for everybody. Like everybody in yeah. America should read this. So, yeah. yeah, because there is a divorce in the way we communicate the faith that separates the faith, like my at my subjective belief in Christ, from the sacramental ecclesial life, right? And so we need to understand where that comes from, why that separation exists, why people say things like, I don't have to go to mass. I'm fine watching it on TV. Right. And it's like, yeah, but you can't receive Holy Communion that way. And they're like, yeah. Right. And you're like, you're a committed Catholic. And you're going, yeah, it's whatever. Yeah. It is what it is. Right. You know, uh, why people roll their eyes at the church's teachings about the sacraments. And, you know, as one woman said to my wife. You know, my son's celiac, so he can't receive the host. So can we just give, bring in a rice cracker and just do that? And, you know, uh, we, had enough, we had tons of people saying, can we receive confirmation via Zoom? And it's stuff like that that this document addresses. Right, right. It, it, yeah, and it addresses it in a way that is very, uh, like, it, when you read it, you kind of think, like, oh, what we're doing is we're practicing malpractice of the church right now. It's like a, a situation in the church where we're giving them a equipment and not giving them any chance to ever actually use that equipment. Right. I mean, that's kind of the way you look at this is that like we are giving out the sacraments and not giving them any basis of knowledge or faith in which to be able to engage those sacraments in a fruitful way. So no wonder people are coming to us and saying, well, can I just use a rice cracker? Can I just uh, be confirmed on zoom? Because we're not 
we we weren't making a difference in people's lives before. I mean, sometimes, you know, there's always that, you know, the Holy Spirit's always working. But for the most part, when you read this document, you're realizing like, oh, this is what's wrong. This is what this is what we have to change and what we have to fix. So over the next, I think, three or maybe even four episodes, we want to unpack this document and go through it and really draw out what we need to know as a church, but also just as a single believer. You know, what does it mean that there is a reciprocity between faith and the sacraments? And what does that look like in my life? And how does that intensify? And how do we kill that in our life? And uh, how do we continue to evangelize people in a way that's actually effective for them to be able to enter into the sacramental economy, to receive grace, and to become saints? Oh, beautiful. Beautifully done. <laughs> All right. When we come back, uh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? We got to throw it to a commercial break somewhere. Oh, dear Lord. Uh, we'll come up with a, how about what you're going to read over the next week before we... Okay. If you've enjoyed the Rejoice Advent resources in the past Advents, you know firsthand how God can use this season of Advent to foster a personal encounter with Him so that you are ready for the person of Jesus Christ at Christmas. My name is Father Mark Toops, author of the Rejoice Advent Meditation Series, and I'm excited about this year as we invite you on a pilgrimage as we learn more about the places, people, and events of the very first Advent. I am humbled with all of you who have uh, celebrated with me the gift of Advent. Over 100,000 people have been a part of the Rejoice resource in the past. It's been a humble privilege for me to walk with you, and I'm excited about this year's pilgrimage as we learn more about those places, people, and events of the very first Advent. To learn more and to go on the pilgrimage with us, go to rejoiceprogram.com. Until we see you in this Advent journey, God bless you. All right. Thanks to our fine folks at Ascension. I got to tell you, uh, this like side thing at Ascension, they are so kind and generous. I've been working with Lauren there at Ascension Press to help give our prisoners solid formation after they go on a retreat. So, cause they're so hungry for the word of God and you know, what better place than Ascension. So we're going through trying to standardize curriculum for the whole state of Texas for our ministries. And we're going to be able to use things like the Bible timeline and uh, biblical walk through the mass and, and all of these different Bible studies that will at the very least allow Protestants who attend the retreat to not think Catholics don't know what they're talking about when it comes to the Bible. And at the most uh, we'll begin a transformative process because we just don't have enough chaplains. We don't have enough Catholic chaplains. And so uh, I, I love that Ascension Press is doing this, but Okay, so Dave, we are going to encourage our audience. Today is Tuesday, November 9th. You'll hear this episode on November 10th. We're going to encourage you. We're going to give you a small reading lesson. Uh, why don't you tell them what they're going to read? So we're going to go right into the document. Uh, and again, uh, the name of that document is on the reciprocity between the sacraments and faith or faith in the sacraments. And what we're going to do is ask you to read out of the first two paragraphs. There's faith and sacraments, relevance and actuality, and dialogical nature of the sacramental economy of salvation. They sound tough, but you'll be fine with this. Most importantly, 
1.2 is the current crisis of reciprocity between faith and the sacraments. If you can read nothing else, get that little paragraph down. 1.2 current crisis of reciprocity between faith and the sacraments. But try to make your way through uh, both one and two there and, and see what you think about it. Because we're going to get into that next week and discuss this in depth. Mm, mm, awesome. I'm excited. And don't be intimidated by the theological language. This is written by a bunch of theologians. Yeah for clergy, for people who have theology backgrounds, but that's what we're going to do together. We're going to walk through this. I've already done it three or four times with my own staff, and I think it is so crucial to our understanding. So um, go through it. Make sure you read it ahead of time. And uh, this therapy session, (laughs) (laughs) this therapy session is now over, so let's roll up our sleeves and, and dive as evangelists into the reciprocity between faith and the sacraments in the sacramental economy. I'm Gomer. Adios. God bless. 